soul of an internet machine, a podcast journaling the adventures of a software development team creating new applications for a Belgian client called Electrotest. We are striving to meet the client's requirements, improve process, build great software, have a bit of fun, and maybe make a few new friends. Follow us through our shared adventures. My name is Christina Moore. Find me at the website christinamore.us. So, welcome to Series 2023. This podcast has no sponsorships, accepts no advertising, and represents my individual efforts. Enjoy for free and no annoying interruptions. Episode 3, Framework. I have started so many projects in my life and career. More often, I remember the end of a project. The end of a project means friends disappear. Comfortable familiarity and expertise fades. Sometimes with massive and exhaustive projects, I get sick for a while. When it goes well, I feel snugly connected to those around me. Leaving Iraq after a year left me drained, and I failed to keep in touch with the others from those days. They also did not keep in touch with me either. That happens after projects end. I did write a colleague from my days at FedEx where we wrote software in Oracle together. That was in the mid or late 1990s. He had the same email address at FedEx. Our lives had changed during the decades. When revisiting these teams and times, I find pleasure in the grueling and difficult environment. I find pleasure in remembering the quiet moments and the surprising moments with teammates. In the 2023 series of The Soul of an Internet Machine, I am making my second attempt at narrating the beginning of a project. As Series 1 informs us, projects fail, teams fail, things fall apart, the globe faces a pandemic, etc. In December of 2021, I tempered my enthusiasm about starting a new project with reminders of past failures. I prefer success. Instead of journaling each step, I must research our efforts and timelines. It all happens so fast. Here is Slack for team communication. Yes, let's use Jira again for managing our tasks and assignments and due dates and progress. Oh, okay, we'll use Confluence for documentation. We'll talk to Dimitri via Zoom. Steve and I will talk via Microsoft Teams. When we communicate with folks outside the team, I'll use GoToMeeting. Stevie uses Microsoft OneNote extensively for note-taking. Me, I use Notepad++. We created our VPN tunnel. We established the necessary SSH tunnel within it to further encrypt our data traffic. Dimi established the Oracle database, the schemas, and the Oracle Apex instance for us. We set up our SQL developer to connect to the database. We stow away our usernames and passwords and various encrypted tools. Every tradesperson experiences this process. Here's your ID. Here's your access code. Here's where you'll park. Here's where you put your tool chest. Your raw materials stand here. Meet Dirk. Meet your client Electrotest. Unlike other tradespeople, I work from home and have done so most of my adult life. Even working for FedEx 25 years ago, I got hired while living in Anchorage, Alaska. The software development team I joined lived and worked in Colorado Springs. My projects resided in Anchorage and in Oakland, California. Plug me into the internet with a fast, reliable connection, and I'm at work. I admit to being slow to coming to web-based software. My career took an odd turn in 2000 after the weirdness of the Y2K kerfuffle. I got hired by Cisco Systems. I'd been involved with software development for over a decade by then. I'd already been a contributing editor and technical editor on four books about programming. 
Suddenly, I spent years designing the internet. That's not overstating it. I designed systems using core internet technologies as a network engineer. A lot of programming, even in that job. As that career progressed, I gradually slipped down a slope towards the projects for the United States government and our military. Within a year or so, I had military identification and military clearances at a high level. Then Iraq. In 2008, I returned to programming and returned to Oracle-based technologies. You know, writing apps that people could actually see and understand. I needed to jump ahead eight years in writing applications. In the 1990s, our applications were not web-based. Yes, we had client-side technologies and server-side technology as we do today. The level of sophistication of browser-based software took off during those years when I was away. I knew internet technology intimately. A gap existed in my knowledge when I returned to writing code in PLSQL. The gap spanned the internet that I had been helping build. Confused? The skills to build and design internet technology are different than the skills required to ignore the internet and write software that runs on both sides of it, the server and the client. The travel ground me down, happy to be home. Happy to have a lovely home. Here I sit in a room with light blue walls, a few mementos of my career on the wall, a comfortable chair, stood at the right height, a video camera ready for a quick call with a new colleague and a new friend. In lieu of being shown the job site, then learning where my tools go, I shuffle into the office each morning. Instead of losing friends at the end of a project, I opted to build a small team around me. We have our losses and our sadnesses all part of the human experience. My life results in softer transitions between projects. Often during the years of looking for projects, I see organizations, especially our U.S. government, looking for software developers. They hire Fred from here and Bugsy from there, and here's Mickey from some other place. The bosses say, we need software, so I'll hire developers. That process often fails. That process certainly costs more money. That process results in immediate and often systematic problems. Let's explore this together. ElectroTest demonstrated immediately the complexity of their demands plus the scope of the project, probably lasting years. ElectroTest, any client or any employer, requires us to build them tools that improve their operations. We are expected to improve revenue, reduce expense, improve consistency, reduce regulatory risk, and make the work environment safer and easier on their staff. When the work environment is easier and logical and rhythmic and symmetrical, then training new folks is easier, error rates decrease, and I'll argue that job satisfaction improves. All too often, a bank or a government entity says, hey, we need to improve our software. The natural result then is hiring programmers. Programmers write software. We want software, then we hire programmers. If this is a big project, we hire five or ten. If it's a small project, hire three. Bosses say, we hear Oracle's good. We need Oracle programmers. Or they decide on Microsoft or another brand. The first thing individual programmers do is introduce themselves. The second thing they do is argue. They argue about standardization, about techniques, about which is better, We invented a genre of television shows predicated on this experience. 
the brand Survivor comes to mind. One might approach the challenge in one of two ways. I recommend finding a team that built their credentials and products working together. They arrive as the pros from Dover, often ready to go. They know how to work together. They know each other's strengths and weaknesses. They possess team shortcuts, team tools, team standards. Their team's leadership process has been established long before your project. Furthermore, the team tends to succeed or fail together. Their loyalty often focuses on the team instead of their own individual ambitions. We build together, we succeed together. If one of us faces a problem, we turn to each other within the team to provide support, love, time, training, or whatever is required. The common choice with many organizations leaps to the conclusion that programmers write software. If you need software, hire programmers. Those assumptions often fail to create an amazing team. Without an amazing cohesive team, you do not get good software or good anything. Good code requires good thinking. Good thinking results in good code. You must hire a team that can think well together, communicate well together, meet your already impossible deadlines and expectations. Any minute that requires resolving disputes or cleaning up messes costs time, energy, money, and often drains emotions unnecessarily. Do you know your PSTs? Are you walking the dog or is that dog still walking you around? Did you find the long pole in the tent? I need a rubber duck. Paint with a little brush. Maintain parallel construction. Trust the tools. Baby steps. Crawl, walk, run. Time for a big hammer. Begin with the end in mind. Semper, Gumby. Retreat, regroup, return. Establish a baseline. Change one variable. Test, repeat. A, then B, then C. Sometimes good enough is good enough. These phrases form a team's shorthand. I don't know the shorthand that Steven Spielberg's team has. Certainly, a team's phrases embodies the spirit, ethos, and soul of a team. That's what builds great software. When Stevie and I joined the project in December of 2021, the project lead handed us data table definitions for 132 tables, the necessary Oracle infrastructure, and a project schedule. He communicated his expectations. Dirk, as the client representative, handed us a massive pile of data from their legacy systems, codenamed DAX. Their legacy data provided insights to their business practices. No, I could not read Dutch very well. The terminology all focused on industrial stuff, health, safety stuff, and thus seemed recognizable. Autolotkran is a self-propelled crane. Like with data table definitions, I could infer a lot from the data. By January 7th or 10th of 2021, we had an operational application running. Technically, we had two applications running. Yet on January 4th, I was still making improvements to the original table structures. I'd make suggestions, then beg for approval. That often resulted in phone calls and tension. Dirk and I had never met. We created a demonstration of the worst of what happens when you stick two strangers together in a development environment. He was the boss in his mind, and I was the boss in my mind. My table designs were better than his. His data table definitions came from months of work and numerous meetings with the client for approvals. Dirk and I conflicted continuously. How did a team of two develop two functional applications in a few weeks? 
The answer is Oracle Apex. Apex stands at the top of software development tools that are considered low-code, no-code. At the simplest, you can select, drag, and drop data fields onto a web page. Apex includes user authentication and user authorization processes. The name Apex derives from the concatenation of application and express. Apex resides as a native element within Oracle's database. It turns a classic server-side database application developer like me into a cool, hip, web-based application developer. I am not required to know CSS nor JavaScript. People can create complete applications without writing any code in PLSQL, Oracle's procedural programming language. Nor are folks required to write queries with SQL. That is the definition of low-code, no-code. That takes an application only so far. When you have scores of tables and data for those tables, that each needs a quick means of management. Drag and drop is lovely. It's fast. Apex provides standardized and familiar menu systems that resemble the type of menus one sees at online shopping sites, banks, and credit cards. I do not have to build that stuff. And I don't have to care either. In the early minutes of a project, creating framework for an application or a suite of interconnected applications ought to be simple, fast, reliable, and consistent. Additionally, I do not want to spend time worrying about the responsiveness of an application. It ought to look great and function fine on a mobile phone platform, a tablet, a laptop, or large-sized monitors often found at an office desk. Somebody else solved that problem already. I do not need to replicate that. I certainly do not want to introduce my own mistakes. As the technology related to presenting an application on a web browser improves, I do not need to chase those improvements around. HTML version 4, then HTML version 5. CSS progressed through the years, now using variable substitutions. Cool, mature, growing up, yay! Well done, HTML and CSS. I hate worrying about compatibility between browser platforms. Oh, this doesn't work on my Microsoft Explorer, or the big blue E, or, or is it Edge today? Apple and its products don't want to play with the same rules as either Microsoft or Google. Client-side compatibility requires specialization that I do not have to possess. Nor does our team require these skills. Apex makes this magic happen for us. For that, I am appreciative. I thank you, team Oracle, for making this product. Oracle's history spans back to the early 1970s as a relational database tool. There are a few companies standing in our industry with heritage of this nature. IBM is older. When Tracy Kidder wrote The Soul of a New Machine, he described the going-ons at a company called DG. Gone. DG offices were near my childhood home. In the same cluster of towns, you would find DAC, Digital Electronics Corporation. The founder of DAC lived on the same road where I grew up. My school bus, good old number seven, with my bus driver Joe, passed Ken Olson's home twice every school day. In the same region of Massachusetts, you once found Wang. An Wang and his family lived near me. My mom played tennis with Mrs. Wang, and I went to primary school with one of the kids. Gone. Oracle made good decisions. Somebody at Oracle decided to be agnostic about the technology a database requires. They said, we don't care if we run on an IBM. 
a DECVAX, a WANG system, or a PC-type server running Microsoft Windows. I am noticing a bit of a shift in this agnostic approach, which may bite them. Good luck. The company that survived through five decades of information technology growth seems to be wetting itself into its own hardware platforms. Being agnostic about your own operational environment is a superpower. Oracle once said, we know what we are. We are the best database engine in the world. Probably true. I celebrate that arrogance. Oracle says, run my database anywhere. Therefore, I get to focus on the luxurious complexity of modeling business operations with database software. Their agnosticism became our agnosticism. Their arrogance became our arrogance. Doubt me? I am writing a database application that resides on an Amazon Web Service platform in Ireland for users in Belgium who run the software in either French or Dutch or English. They can do it from any computing platform, mobile, tablet, laptop, desktop, or execute their duties from any operating system, Microsoft, Apple, Linux. I don't care what browser people use, Chrome, Firefox, Safari, or the browser from Microsoft with the big E in it. Listen, Microsoft, it's the same damn product. Stop changing the name. Nobody cares to waste brain cells tracking that stuff. Agnostic. Oracle's decision to step clear of the hardware and hosting wars permitted me to step clear of these same topics. I want interesting work, good pay, and the joys of building cool things. In order to discuss applications and application framework, let's visit the geek side for a while. First, guys, there is zero difference between software, a software application, and an app, unless you're discussing an appetizer nibbled with wine. That kind of an app is not software. Software is not edible. Yes, for some reason, people argue about these teams. Rarely, the experts telling me that the difference exists between an app and software have never written a line of code. Please, dude, remove the expert patch from your sleeve. Ugh, after decades of writing software applications or apps, I can barely define the term for you. Within Oracle Apex, an application works within a database schema. It presents information and gathers information from users. Users log in via a web browser with credentials, and users log out of the application. And yes, this is entirely true for the apps on your phone, whether it's Candy Crush or Cribbage Pro or a navigation system. You get logged in. That's the bloody scary thing about apps on your mobile phone. Your phone often manages that login and authentication for you automatically. It passes your credentials seamlessly behind the scenes. That app and the owners of that app know exactly who you are, how long you logged in, where you were, and what you did. Even if you think you did not log in with a username and password, I promise it happened on your behalf. With an application of 2021, we encounter menus and options. We provide a color scheme and a look and feel that ought to give you cozy feelings of familiarity. For our client, we immediately created two applications. One application focused on the behind-the-scenes management and maintenance of the primary application. Cleverly, we named the app Admin. The other application provides, or will provide, all of the customer management and order management and invoice management and inspection management needed by the client staff. A third and even fourth applications are discussed. We may provide an app for clients to log in. 
A client could review past inspections, plan new inspections, review invoices, and do all sorts of cool client-type tasks. The potential fourth application may be a portable application used by inspectors in the field, specifically optimized for their tasks. Our two applications are linked so that if a user logs into one, they can jump to the other. If the user has the correct credentials, they can jump back and forth easily. Our Apex applications get hosted from a centralized Oracle server. Some tasks run on the user's web browser, such as the client profile page. We provide instructions on how that looks, where the buttons are, the colors used, and etc. Some tasks run on the Oracle server, such as updating the data tables and processing data as one might when finalizing an invoice or generating the invoice PDF form. We delivered the first draft of two applications to the client in January within a month of getting the assignment. We took time off for the holidays and family too. A good team plus good tools plus a professional and seasoned set of standards plus expertise creates efficiency. We are the pros from Dover. We had a pre-demo review on 11 January. On 17 January, the software was being demonstrated for the client at their site. In the early stages, the objectives of our project remained deliberately minimal. The project leaders feared treading on legacy systems and facing institutional resistance to change. At that moment, we publicly stated we were writing middleware. Our initial goal involved connecting disparate legacy systems sitting on a variety of platforms written in other languages. Stevie and I knew this was a ruse to develop confidence in a better plan. This ruse of serving as middleware further explains why Dirk met us with a complete set of data tables. We had to interface with an external legacy system. The client provided us with their brand book, a series of logos and definitions of their preferred fonts. Their designated corporate colors with red as the dominant color. During these weeks, we dedicated ourselves to building a contact or customer resource management system, a CRM. We built client profile screens, contact profile screens, and started embracing the bizarre challenges with addresses and locations. Stevie built a glorious and beautiful system for user privileges. The client... ElectroTest communicated their expectations with a colorful Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. Have I ever said that Excel is not a database? I shall rant about this concept frequently. Why? Not because Excel has a few database-type tools. No, but because Excel and databases store and manage data differently. When human beings with years of experience and familiarity think about data and organizing data, It often comes to us in an Excel spreadsheet. That mindset limits the discussion and curtails the power of what the database can and should do. Please take this Excel spreadsheet, keep it the same, then make it a database, but have it look like Excel. I'll come back to this again, I promise. To the client, Excel ought to be treated as just another legacy system. Stevie did an amazing job creating a spreadsheet-like look for the user authorization process. People in accounting get full access here and here and here. Inspectors get read-only access to this and full access to that. Stevie replicated what they drew and delivered what they wanted. 
That earned us credibility and opened the door for a long-term project. She was right in doing this and showed off nicely. In time, our challenge must be to train the client to provide business requirements to us, describe the workflow and the constraints. Let us employ our expertise in making it elegant, flexible, and functional. Give us the freedom to lay the data out. Clients save money this way. Stevie first had to build the user permission process the Oracle way. Then she invested significant time to make it look like an Excel spreadsheet with colors and such. More than 60% of the effort involved trying to make an Oracle database process look like an Excel spreadsheet. That is a balance I struggle with. How do we optimize everything, forcing change down a client's throat? Do we optimize everything because it will be cheaper, more resilient, more reliable, easier to support, and easier to use? Or do we deliver to the client what they want in a manner they expect to see it? I often get it wrong. I did so early on in this project in a significant way. Of course, I secretly believe I was right. But who cares about right? The client cares about getting what they asked for. Do you tell them they are wrong? Do you tell them we can improve? In one belief structure, we hold the maxim, the customer is always right. In a contrary structure, a practitioner may say, if they could do it themselves, then they do not need me. From preparing taxes to performing surgery and executing a criminal defense, clients often defer to their hired professional. Like earning credibility and trust within any environment, we discover the truth teetering between both. Like that physics challenge from high school when I endeavor to understand that light is both a wave and a particle. Seems contradictory. In this case, the client gave us details and instructions that appeared to constrain our process. Yet, we built two applications with speed and total freedom. Both statements remain true. We modified Dirk's table structures to come closer to our own table standards whilst retaining the original nature of Dirk's intent and the data structures that the client approved. We had no formal design nor requirement documents from which to start our work, yet we created hundreds of web pages within weeks that installed confidence in our work. Our first pass at the two applications, admin and customer service, met with the client's enthusiastic approval. Blasting out a client profile page when given the exact data fields is easy. One pops into Apex and says, hey, I want a new page. You select your desired table from a list. Bish, bop, boop. There's the page. Apex puts all of the data fields in the order of appearance in the table down the page, neatly aligned on the left column. It adds three buttons where you cancel, save, and create. A few basic rules get created, and Apex sets up the data management for you. When a user edits a record, Apex resolves the issue with data conflict and simultaneous edits. The wonderful thing about having Oracle database experts create the process of retrieving, then storing data, and resolving clawing conflicts is something I do not have to do. They did it. They likely did it better than I did. It is done the same way on every page in Apex. These principles we learned 
during the early part of the 20th century as we built manufacturing plants. The structure and order of data tables improves speed and efficiency when creating these data entry pages. When you organize your data tables well with important stuff at the top and less important stuff at the bottom, Apex blasts these fields up on a page as page items. If you name your data fields well and without awkward abbreviations, then you barely have to touch the names that the user sees. If you use clean, complete, and unabbreviated English when you're translating to Dutch or French, these tools have an easier time being translated. Invoice becomes factor. Had the phrase been abbreviated to INV or INVC, then the translation tools get stuck. You save no time, no typing, no effort, and may have increased costs. We had a U.S. client a few years ago who hired three young programmers. Each programmer arrived with different backgrounds academically, socially, and linguistically. Each came from different employers. The database administrator for their legacy database system, yes, written in Oracle, and had his rules. All tables must have a primary key named ID. The second field in every table was the date the row was created. The third field, the name of the user who created the row. We call these audit fields. Good practice to have them. Who created when, who updated when. They are the least important data in every table. This DBA's experience, which spanned the same decades as my own, stated that field names must be less than 10 characters, a rule that forces developers to abbreviate field names. The result is that when these young programmers started laying data entry pages with Apex, the page layout required another hour's worth of work. Fields need to be shifted to follow a logical progression, likely from the most relevant and the most important at the top. Field names had to be retyped because the truncated versions constrained to 10 characters did little to help human users of the system. Sure, it looked like a 1970s system running on an old monochromatic monitor. Furthermore, as different users had to hand type these field names on the pages, they introduced variations in the naming. Invoice number in one case, invoice ID in another, invoice with a number sign in a third. And on through the common and familiar techniques we all use for identifying basics, such as invoice number. Does it seem trivial? Really, no. That polished consistency marks a professional tradesperson or craftsperson. People judge with their eyes. We love balance and symmetry. A great web-based application requires a great database design. Data structures that are messy, non-intuitive, result in messy, non-intuitive page design. Or messy data structures result in a significant investment in modifying these pages one field at a time. That's a waste and results in errors, inconsistency, and the like. I started this episode discussing the importance of order and procedures. Step one, gather the requirements, operational practices, and the like. Step two, develop a data model. Step three, develop working applications and pages. These three steps grossly simplify the effort and focus on the pragmatic investment rather than the dogmatic employment of fashionable terminology. One, two, three tends to be good practice. At the opening, I whined about skipping steps, then bragged about the value of experience. 
To build the basic framework for a large and complicated application starts with easy to execute simple steps. We have hundreds of lookup tables. This table helps define permitted languages. This table defines the invoicing methods, email, postal service. This table defines the invoice due dates or payment terms. That's just work. When it comes to laying out a customer profile page, gee, we've all seen that page hundreds of times. We must make it logical and attractive. We had terrific details on the security profile based on an Excel spreadsheet. I admit frustration with the start, but we delivered. When it came to the process that matters, we took that one. Yes, we have invested days to get the data table structures in a fashion that permitted us to blast into web pages easily and quickly. We knew that relationship. If we get the tables right, then those early pages get built right. Starting a project requires getting acquainted with new people, understanding new objectives, figuring out the interpersonal dynamics. During December and January of 2021, I describe myself as the anti-hero within the narrative. I expect certain process and structures. I expect them because I learned them with past successes. Furthermore, I see things. I see data relationships. I see data patterns that others do not. I often fail at communicating these insights well. Often, I sound like a nutter standing on a plastic bucket in a city center decrying the end of it all. Occasionally, I'm right. Occasionally, we can find a way around the mess I foresaw. Regrettably, sometimes I'm tired, whiny, in pain, and just an ass. Sucks being human, doesn't it? Like that high school physics lesson, where a light is both a particle and a wave of energy simultaneously, we must embrace that process and results tangle and weave together. Get too dogmatic about process, you miss the joys of building a great product. Get too focused on the elegance and beauty of the product, you risk missing necessary complexities and inconsistencies that the client requires. Only going through the rigorous process of requirements gathering, design communication, and constant feedback will an application include all of the elements the client needs. It is both simultaneously. All members of the team, client, business analysts, software developers, project leaders, we must all embrace the complexity and inconsistency. Yes, whether it's technical, linguistics, or interpersonal. A ought to come before B, I agree. One before two, and so on. But sometimes, just sometimes, it works anyway. Just because we want it to. See you next time. Be well, do good, and have fun. The Soul of an Internet Machine is a copyrighted production of Fire Media LLC 2023. All rights reserved. You can find me at my website, christinamore.us. Email is okay. Christina at christinamore.us. For now, I am still on Twitter with at Seymour underbar SP. That's Charlie Mike. C-M-O-O-R-E underbar SP. Thank you.